this is Killer Physiology. I am Haley. And I'm Wes. Join us this week as we dive into the killer physiology of the human body. Hey, what's up, everyone? Hello. Good morning. It's Sunday morning. Rainy Sunday, yeah. Sunday morning. I have a nice cinnamon coffee, though, that I'm drinking. Nice. I did not plan well enough, and my coffee is currently brewing, so it was not ready for now. I didn't plan but... well either. I had to text mm. Wes everybody that I was going to be late. We had <laughs> a certain time, and I was just... It's also like impossible to do at home workouts with a six month old puppy. <laughs> um, she's she already ate my toe and bit my face while I was doing push ups. <laughs> Does she like freak Please, out if you close her me. out of um close her out of the room? Well, I don't like. Or you need I to keep know. an eye on her. I gotta keep an eye on her, and I yeah. could close her off, but she'll just scratch the shit out of the door. So yeah. And like, I know I had to put her in the cage for this. So I didn't want her to be in the cage while I was exercising. There's very easy fixes to these things. Just put her yeah. in the cage. But then I feel bad and she's yeah. in the cage now. So I was like, let her be. And yeah. And as soon as I'm on the floor, she's just like, hell mm -hmm. yes, you're on my <laughs> level and it's game over. So That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, uh, well, we I did not work out this morning. Right. Um, I was last night. Um, I took. Uh, we have a foster dog right now and we I took him outside in the rain and Cute. he decided he wanted to walk down the hill and I slipped and fell in the mud and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Last no, night? Yeah. It was, like at like, like 11? I, yeah, it was, yeah, when we were done playing Fortnite, I fell in the mud. It was great. <laughs> I'm so happy. That's horrible. You probably wanted to kill him in that moment. Yeah. Well, I was holding him <laughs> at that point because he had stopped, like he had stopped walking and I picked him up <laughs> and I like, I guess I like moved too quickly on the wet hill. I don't know. And then, so then I had to like hold him in a way to where he didn't fall. You know, it was, it was a good time. Oh my God. So you <laughs> took the L. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm sorry that happened to you. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just decided to sleep in and be lazy since uh, like midnight well, last night I fell in the mud. <laughs> oh oh my god. Um, so you know, last week was definitely a fun change up with like yeah. diving deeper into some of like the core materials um, you know, like that we have to learn uh coming into the field. Um, but like, you know, we definitely try to keep a, a good balance between some of like the heavy science and um you know, some of like just like the exercise side of things, because that's, uh, you know, the main focus we'll like. of it all anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this week we are going to be covering uh, peripheral artery disease and, you know, some of the exercise considerations that come along with that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe like a case study or two at the end just to kind of talk through it a little bit. Cool. Yeah. So peripheral artery disease, I'm just going to call PAD because it's a mm -hmm. lot easier. So if I'm referencing that, that's what I mean. Um, but I think uh, PAD, they have people with it. They are such a unique and special population. I enjoyed working with them so much in rehab. Mm -hmm. There weren't that many of them. Yeah. Um, They're very rare to come and exercise with us. Um, But it was so much fun to exercise with them. Yeah. They their disease is really tough on themselves and their bodies, but they literally persevered through every single session. It was incredible. And they definitely um were the most memorable population that I can, you know, yeah, that I worked with in rehab. Yeah, that's cool. It's definitely um a unique uh 
condition to get to work with. And, um, you know, unfortunately, like if you work in the realm of cardiac rehab, like at least in the United States or at least in Maryland, because that's like where my experience has been, um, that PAD is not a qualifying diagnosis to come into cardiac rehab. So like your insurance like won't pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's not that you just have an individual coming in with just uh, peripheral yeah, artery, yeah. artery disease, like they um, have another qualifying diagnosis as well. <laughs> um, so I think that's, I mean, at least in my opinion, somewhat why, like it's um, Definitely. why you have like few, fewer of, uh, fewer individuals with that condition coming in. Yeah. Um, so kind of just starting from the beginning, like what is PAD? Uh, so it's the development, it's caused by the same process as coronary artery disease where there's like plaque buildup that leads to um like significant enough stenosis to where it kind of like decreases that blood flow um and then that also limits your vasodilation so that's where like your arteries and uh are getting bigger like opening allowing more room for blood flow um which when that happens that causes a a reduction in that blood flow to the area past that occlusion Mm-hmm. Um, so this change in the blood flow leads to a mismatch between the oxygen supply and demand, um, which causes ischemia in the impacted area. And ischemia is basically inadequate blood flow to a part of the body or an organ. Um, yeah. so I'm not going to go crazy deep into how to diagnose PA, uh, PAD, cause obviously like as an EP, we don't do that. Um, but the easiest way to help confirm, uh, the diagnosis is to use something that's called ankle uh, brachial index. Um, So that is something that can be measured by an EP if they ever needed to. So uh, the ABI is a measure measure of the ratio between the systolic blood pressure at the ankle and the arm. So basically, you're taking the highest number um, uh, that you get at the foot, and you're dividing that by the highest number at the arm. And the quote unquote normal range is 0.9 to 1. Anything less than that suggests some obstruction and blood flow to the lower extremities. So there's a whole like like scale categorization mm-hmm. for like severity of the disease. I'm not going to go over that here just because like I'm not going to list out numbers and ranges to you guys. Um, but that's one way to help confirm like along with other symptoms like that um, like PAD is existing. Have you ever performed this before? No. Me either. I like, feel like I it's one of those things. School, but I never yeah. like that. But like, that. it's one of these things that you learn about and you hear about all the time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's like this like mysterious thing. It's like fairies. Like it like might not <laughs> exist because I've never ever seen this done before. But we all talk about it. So yeah, I'm glad like, I'm wonder, the only one. <laughs> yeah, like I wonder what like um setting you would be in as an EP. Yeah, uh, to do it because like in most rehab situations, like you're not going to be doing that because of the no most likely the patient would already have like that diagnosis um and like we don't really work in doctor's offices except for like if you're like like usually like a stress testing position or something Mm -hmm. so you know but I don't know like again I'm just kind of basing off my experience yeah uh so basically in layman's terms like what Wes said above uh PAD causes arteries to quote-unquote clog and therefore blood flow is impacted and if blood flow is impacted to the legs, it can cause severe cramping and pain in their lower legs or calves. This pain or cramping uh, is triggered more specifically by like weight-bearing exercises, so walking, running, things like that. And in the medical field, the pain or cramping is called claudication. So if you hear us mention that, that's what that yeah. means as well. 
When treating uh, these patients, you can use a claudication scale as well to determine their pain level and address exercise modification if necessary. So these symptoms of PAD can worsen over time and become severe enough for individuals to stop performing their activities of daily living and therefore impact their quality of life. So cutting back on activities of daily living can look like not being able to walk around the grocery store to buy food for the week, uh, not being able to play with their grandchildren, for example, or even if they have a pet, not being able to walk their dogs. Yeah. And cutting back on these items can lead to poor quality of life and create an even bigger physical or emotional problem. So yeah, it's it's tough. Go ahead. Um, you know, with like you know, having worked with like with some individuals that have had PAD, like it's tough because they, um, you know, depending on how bad that claudication is and like that yeah. pain and cramping, like they it definitely does limit the amount of activity that they do. One hundred percent. It's sucks because it's just like an added thing to whatever else they have going on exactly and the triggering aspect is weight-bearing exercises so walking so it's like everything that they could possibly do in a day it's really it really sucks yeah so we talked about the disease and symptomology now so now we can talk about who is at risk for developing PAD. So PAD um, prevalence increases with age. So 6% of the population uh, greater than 60 years old um, has a diagnosis of PAD. PAD prevalence also will increase with certain risk factors. And these risk factors include diabetes, hypertension, smoking, dyslipidemia, which is abnormal cholesterol levels, non-Caucasian race, male gender and inflammatory markers. So you may be asking, how are these risk factors um, impacting or chances of developing PAD? Um, well, most of the risk factors that I just listed have some sort of direct impact on our arterial system. Mm -hmm. And as Wes mentioned above, PAD is a disease of the arteries. And if we have risk factors already creating some sort of negative change on the arteries already, our chances of PAD are just going to increase uh, drastically. Yeah. And, you know, you just touched on the, um, your risk factors and kind of basically like your quote unquote kind of cardiac risk factors. It's super yeah. important. Um, but even more so with having PAD and, um, and ACSM's like really big, like clinical exercise physiology book, it identified cigarette smoking as the most serious risk factor to be aware of. Um, it increases the risk of developing PAD by at least, th uh, three times, um, three times the number of pack years so and pack years is defined by them as the number of packs smoked per day times the number of years smoked um basically just it does even more damage to your arteries and just contributes yeah. even more to um to that pad definitely um, also, individuals with PAD have a 20, this was found in the ACSM um, exercise testing book, have a 20 to 60% increased risk of a heart attack and a two to six time fold increase risk of dying from cardiovascular disease compared to individuals without it. Yeah, so it definitely is a serious thing. And the most important thing to take away is just limit your risk factors. We can't necessarily get rid of all diseases. Some are just like inherited and genetics and all of those things. But if we have certain risk factors like smoking that we can cut back on um, or trying to cut down or trying to just prevent di diabetes diagnosis mm -hmm. by the time we get older, it's important to limit these risk factors as much as possible. Definitely. 
Um, a few other like signs and symptoms to kind of be aware of, um, especially in the lower extremities, um, that could be an indicator of PAD is like muscle atrophy. So it's that like decrease in muscle size, um, or like loss of muscle, um, hair loss, smooth, shiny skin, um, skin that is like cool to the touch. Um, not that like most normal people are going to be feeling for pulses in their feet, but that is another thing is like a decreased pulse in your foot. I don't know. When I work out really hard, there's an immense well, pulse yeah. in my foot. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't, yeah, but I don't like, I know me, like I'm not like sitting there like palpating my foot. No. And being, like, <laughs> no. Pulse. Um, but I guess to be fair, if you were like kind of monitoring yourself, yeah, you would be. definitely. Um, and then also like. Um, non-healing wounds on your legs, um, legs or feet, and like cold or numb toes. Um, yeah. So it's those are just some other things to keep keep an eye on. Um, so I want to touch on some of like the common forms of treatment. Uh, we're definitely going to be talking about the exercise side of it. Um, I'm going to just talk on some of the more um, more like medical clinical side of it for just real quick. So yeah. Um, some different medications might be prescribed uh, to help in the treatment of it. And those are um, your statins um, to help with that, uh, your cholesterol levels and your vasodilators, like we were talked about earlier, to try to help open everything up. And then mm -hmm. also your anticoagulants, so like your blood thinners, um, just to help again where that, those occlusions are, yeah, to help prevent clotting. <clears throat> um. So depending on the severity of the condition, some people may even need to go under like an angioplasty slash uh, stent placement mm -hmm. um, and sometimes even like a bypass graft, uh, depending on like how much of an inclusion is, there is and like where it's at. Just um, like the heart too. Exactly. Yeah. When I was when I was in grad school, I got to see a, um, cool. a CA femoral artery bypass surgery. So, um, you know, the, there was like an inclusion um, in the femoral artery. Um, and they had to make an incision on the inside of the person's thigh and had to bypass that, which was pretty cool. cool. It, it actually took longer than the surgery I saw before it, which was, um, I, I, I know I'm going to butcher the name, but it was like a carotid endorectomy or something. It was like they were mm -hmm. removing plaque from the carotid artery and the femoral artery bypass took longer than that one did. That's crazy. Um, but it was kind of cool because th once they did the bypass and all, they um like you brought their machines in and like what like watch to watch make sure the blood watch flow. the blood flow to make sure That's that cool. was flowing the way it needed to so how long did it take the femoral artery i can't totally remember i think it was like i think i left at like four hours whoa and, and it was like they was had, not like, they expecting had seen, that they had seen like blood flow be restored at that point and then they had to like finish like obviously like cl like closing up and everything wow um but at that point i had left but that's crazy. yeah it was it was definitely interesting were you able to ever see open heart no unfortunately my like surgery rotation started like a week or two before like covid came and shut everything oh. down what would you, you have done that oh i totally would have our professors like scared us out really? of it yeah, no, they were I like, if you to. don't like the smell of burning flesh, you're it's probably not for you. And I'm yeah. just, and she was like, also, you're also not gonna be able to go to the bathroom for like 10, 12 hours. And I was like, I just can't. I'm, I'm not gonna do that. See, that just sounds strange because like ours was. I think they like, were scared they were gonna send students that were just gonna yeah, like screw around probably. in the open room. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, because like. <clears throat> 
for mine like okay yeah there's like the smell aspect and like whatever that um, might send me to but heaven. like you, i mean you are <laughs> you are wearing like a mask and and all of that so like it helps well, a little yeah. bit with the smell now with all the mask trick too like putting vaseline inside your mask people oh. do i know i learned a lot of nurses were saying tricks oh, really? and tips hmm. for stuff like that yeah yeah i don't know um it, <laughs> but i feel like you could go to know. the ba- bathroom i think like to me but then like, you have to get sterile and stuff and that's just obnoxious to have a student going in and out don't you think yeah i mean i feel like you should probably just like hold it until you have don't surgeons wear diapers leave i have no clue <laughs> Um, right. I don't know. We're on yeah. a tangent now. Very big tangent. <laughs> um, Obviously, I need to um, educate myself on open heart surgery. <laughs> but um, yes, I would love to get to see open heart surgery. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and like Wes said, exercise, exercise, exercise for PAD as well. Yeah. Um, some important exercise considerations to keep in mind. Uh, for starters, multiple studies have shown that exercise training is safe and an effective treatment for individuals with this diagnosis. Um, it was found that interval training in particular increases the time and distance an individual with PAD is able to walk until pain or claudication occurs. So this can then increase the quality of life because activities of daily living can be completed more often now without pain. Yeah. And I always go back to who says <laughs> exercise isn't medicine, people. <laughs> Good Lord. And also another consideration, cold environments may aggravate symptoms of claudication and pain. So yeah. it's very important for these individuals to have a long warm up. If it's wintertime, they're coming into rehab, you know, yep. they're going to be in a lot of pain. Give them a good, nice warm up. Yeah, exactly. Um And one of the most common, like, I mean, this is a bit of a generalization, but like one of the most common things that you might um see prescribed for uh for pad is like an incline walking kind of plan um on a treadmill and so that's where that kind of comes into what Haley was saying with like the intervals yes so um typically like you would in an ideal world you would have that individual walk until they reach that pain threshold Mm -hmm. and then you would have them stop wait until um they recover and then resume um, but depending on the people you're working with, you're gonna have to change it a little bit. Um, but like slowly uh, trying to progress with more of an incline or more duration, um, you know, you can kind of play around with your intervals a little and bit and move that pain threshold further and further away. Exactly. Hopefully. Yep. So uh, one of the most important considerations to keep in mind is the importance of weight bearing exercise. So this ties into what, like what I was just saying. Um, it's not that non weight bearing exercise isn't beneficial for the individual because obviously, like any type of exercise is beneficial. Um, but that weight bearing yes. is what's going to really help with um, that PAD. Um, you know, like I like th- I break it down in my head of like thinking like okay, you know your lower extremities like you know that's where that where that cramping is that's where the claudication is um that's where like the lack of blood flow is and it like so if you're walking weight bearing you know when you're stepping you're squeezing like your calf muscle like it's you know using those muscles where that cramping is but that's where they need to be working um so like obviously i'm not gonna i don't want to go too specific with anybody but i did want to kind of give us the opportunity to kind of talk about like anything that stood out like with work like with our experience in work um you know like I t- said earlier I never really um I've never worked in like a PAD rehab mm-hmm. um but 
we at my old job we definitely had um several uh people came that came in that had uh pad and um you know i think it was like echoing Haley earlier it was very rewarding to see these people make progress yeah. um with their exercise plan and and um like their symptoms as well um you know we had one individual that started out like just on the new step because they um, I can't remember what procedure they were coming in from, um, but they were very, uh, deconditioned and slowly built up some endurance and strength. Um, and then once we got to like, I want to say a couple weeks in, like, you know, I remember approaching that conversation with that individual of like talking to them about, uh, kind of like we've done here today, like about like, you know, how, um, that incline walking can help with PAD. Yeah. And, um, and so like we started incorporating, uh, like some, uh, short intervals on the treadmill. I think we started at like three minutes, um, at like an incline and we would do three minutes, take a break, three minutes, take a break, three minutes, take a break. And we would try to slowly, we slowly built that up over time. And it was really cool to see yeah, uh, that progress. Definitely. Um, I do think to me, like, obviously in general, we've talked a a good bit in the past about like having to develop a rapport with your patient or participant or whatever. Um, but I think um, it's even more important with these individuals because 100%. Yeah. Like, because you have to, you're trying to help motivate them through the pain that they're experiencing, you know, mm -hmm. trying to help motivate them to push themselves. Um, and it's difficult. Like I, I, you know, like it's tough one. Like, you know, we are coming from a place of like, we're not experiencing what you're experiencing. So no. it's easy for us to sit back and say, Hey, you need yep. to keep pushing harder and harder. Um, you know, like I worked with like a fairly young individual, um, that had had a bunch of other things going on as well. Um, and tried to like, and they had PAD and tried to push, uh, try to like help incorporate the incline walking. And it was, it was very difficult because, um, I like it, they didn't totally buy into the importance of it and and nobody know, wants to exercise when they're exactly, in pain either in so pain. it's like exactly you so, have to get them past so many sessions and so many weeks to understand that once they hit this pain threshold it gets further and further away yeah and, and that's so the that's hardest tough. part it, I, <laughs> yeah I agree I think that's the tough thing um but like I said I think it's you know it comes down to like you as the prof as the professional and trying to talk through you know the importance of it and obviously it's their choice so if they say like no I don't want to do this like that's fine um but you know just maybe reapproach the subject a little bit try to talk through like okay this is why you're experiencing that pain like this is our hope of like trying to push through that pain a little bit um but it is definitely difficult um, at my rehab that I worked at, we did have a PAD program. Okay. I That's wish cool. I had the program and I wish I can tell you and I wish I had a great <laughs> memory, but I don't. <laughs> we had a really talented and experienced EP that um, created it. We all discussed it, kind of mm. saw like the strengths and weaknesses and kind of made it the best it can be. It yeah. basically was exactly what you're saying is the interval training, but it was like A, B, and C. If he hit A, then he can go to B. But okay. if he didn't hit B, then take off five minutes from this and go back to A. Like, for example, okay. not accurate. Yeah. Um, but it was it was cool. It was detailed and intense, and it worked very well for our PAD patients that came in. And they had a great improvement of exercise time and intensity and were definitely pain-free. Yeah. Um, not completely, but a lot better than when they initially came in. And again, uh -huh. like we said, we keep That's praising cool. these PAD um, patients, but they were like the hardest working people 
um they push themselves to like max capacity Mm -hmm. almost every session and they're just super inspiring and amazing so kudos to all of them that's really cool yeah i don't know it's it's um i think it's tough too because you have to um I think you have to have like it sounds like with you with having like this program like established at like where you used to work um like a lot of people were bought into it i know like um where i worked um it was like a lot of people were but some people weren't so like it really depended on who was working with the patient interesting um on like how much they really pushed like the importance of that of like the walk-in program was yours like were you like pushing people like really intensely or again, it, was it was like just a blend on the person it depended okay. on the it was still individualized because we didn't have like a set protocol like in place um yeah. so we tried to approach it like to each individual i think we pushed ours so hard yeah like i just remember them just being like like utterly exhausted and i don't know mm-hmm. if i don't know we used to take like their blood pressures after every interval mm-hmm. and these people's blood pressures were like unreal and yeah. they were just like they were just at max it was crazy it was wild i don't yeah. know yeah that is cool. I mean, I one of my internship locations, they did that um, more structured, like what it sounds like yours was. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and that was pretty cool. But there was only like one or two people I saw while I was an intern there where yeah, they did again, that. Yeah, again, there's not that many. Um, I think I only had like, I don't think I only had like seen like three or four. Okay. The entire time I was there. So yeah, we had a handful of people come in with it at my old job. Um, Like I said, it just was and more individualized for them not like a set protocol we had established yeah <clears throat> um so i think like we're gonna end with like a bit of a case study today um and we're just gonna kind of talk through it like Uh-oh. we've done some in the past <laughs> um so <laughs> I, like i'll read it and then like i guess we can talk through it so uh, let's say you have a 64-year-old cardiac rehab patient. Um, the diagnosis that brought them into uh, the rehab was they had a stent placed. Um, they've never really followed a normal exercise routine. Uh, they do have a history of a knee replacement. Since having their, their stent placed, they've been worried to exercise on their own. Um, and so they haven't really done much activity at all, and they've lost a bit of strength and endurance. Um, in addition, they have uh, peripheral artery disease, and they do experience that claudication when they're walking. <clears throat> um, so what would their initial exercise prescription look like? What do you think, Haley? Well, if you were in our rehab, <laughs> <laughs> you're asking me on the treadmill. <laughs> um, no, but if they really were uncomfortable, we would put yeah. them, we'd obviously probably put them on the new step, see how well they do. So if these guys are able to walk on the treadmill with us, I definitely think we would have put them on there, even if mm-hmm. it was only about if they can achieve 30 seconds walking, that's great, or 45 seconds or even up to a minute, mm-hmm. we would take it. And then okay. let's just have a little rest and then just do as many as we possibly can. Um, and then again, if they really, really are like n- really uncomfortable on the treadmill, mm-hmm. place them on the new step for those first initial exercise programs. So I guess like where I, I disagree slash am confused and I would, and you can definitely educate me on how you guys looked at it, but did you like, and I don't, how did you have a set number of intervals they had to do and then incorporate other like modalities into their workout? Because to me, um, while like that prescription that you just said is like approaching the PAD, um, and should help their PAD definitely, like how is like their 
overall cardiovascular health being approached as far as like in trying to increase their overall like endurance like did you guys incorporate um you know other exercise modalities Not into really. the workout no. really so it was just treadmill um and then huh. progress them for as long as they possibly can do but even that is going to increase their cardiovascular endurance too and they also would do um we do weight training we always uh -huh. did weight training and we always talk we kind of talked about now <clears throat> the weight training isn't going to specifically mm -hmm. help with the PAD, but the weight training can help with the cardiovascular system. So we would do weight training prior 10 to 15 minutes, and then we would get on the treadmill and just do the treadmill protocol solely. So how many intervals, like, would you say like on average? I like, literally have no idea. Okay. It just depended. You, we had, so we had our hour long session, uh -huh. 15 minute warm up, resistance training. And then we had, it's probably about 30 minutes. So whatever you could do in that 30 minute um, exercise period, quote unquote. And mm. then we have our 15 minute cool down. So that was your hour long class. Hmm. So it was whatever I honestly cannot remember. Oh my God. But I That's do fine. know that they were exercising huh. for those 30 minutes and it just depended. And, but that like included their whatever rest times they needed to take and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I think like I differ in my opinion of that. Like, obviously, there's no set, like, right way to do it, like, right way to and do it. And that's what ACSM but... said as well. I read that ACSM still does not know the proper interval, mm, rest yeah. period, or exercise type, like, switching um, <clears throat> during an exercise program that benefits yeah. PAD the most. So that research mm. is still unknown. So. Yeah. I don't think anybody knows if they're right or wrong. No, yet. I agree. I, you know, you know I, I'm just, I mean, obviously I'm like, like arguing my own outlook, <laughs> but to me, like, I feel like trying to build up some, like trying to work in either like initial endur like endurance and strength as well, or like incorporating both, like splitting up their time, um, between that walking protocol and as well as something. But how is wa that walking do. protocol not building up your strength? Well, because I, if you can only, it's in my opinion, if you are only going for like 45 <laughs> seconds to a minute and then you're stopping and resting, yes, it's in, it's building your walking endurance. But I, I would argue that you're not putting enough demand on the heart as like a longer duration on. But like I could also argue that <laughs> sitting on a new step and doing a lower intensity non-weight bearing is yeah. less effective for cardiac endurance as well because it's just easy peasy lemon squeezy. But if they, <laughs> but if you were approaching. But if you're appropriately adjusting the rabbit resistance hole, rabbit to hole, them, rabbit hole. it's no, I agree. Like any, any day of the week, I'm going to say, if you can oh walk, God. you should walk. But like, say if a person said, okay, says, okay, I can only do 45 seconds or a minute and you're taking a minute or two minute like break or whatever they need to, to where the symptoms are subsiding. Like in my mind, I'm like, okay, like maybe let's do if you have a half hour window, we're going to take 15 minutes. We are definitely going to not let you just sit at, and cruise at like a level one on whatever, like other mode. And not using your arm. <laughs> <laughs> but then the 15 minute, then the other 15 minutes, then do the intervals. I don't know. Yeah. That's just how I look. But at I it. did say that before. No, it's not. You said they were. No, I said if you could not. Treadmill. I said if they didn't have the endurance or oh, it was yes. too much, okay, then um, we'll yes. switch to the new step. Okay. Yeah. Girl. Never mind. Glad <laughs> <laughs> um... we figured that out. Next question. <laughs> <clears throat>
well, I think we talked about a lot of the I things think we, that I wrote I think questions. we hit all the points. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think... Great job. Yeah, good job. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that it just... One, it depends on your school of thought. Yeah. Um, no matter what, you should, <laughs> you should be prioritizing <clears throat> uh, the treatment of the PAD as well. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> but use your clinical judgment, um, yeah. you know like i shouldn't have gotten Haley did say if they <laughs> depending on their level of fitness she would probably put them on not non-weight bearing <clears throat> um yeah so and again you'll never if you're like thinking about this <clears throat> and this population and having to prescribe exercise and think about it you'll never go into it alone so no, there's, yeah, there's always a group of people it. there to back you up to like think about what's best for the patient and yeah. all of this jazz. But this is what, I mean, rehab looked like sometimes. You're just like, okay, Wes believes this, but then I believe this. How can we com come to a conclusion <laughs> to help the patient overall? So yeah. it's good. It's like good arguing and it's good it perspective is. on things. So definitely. Speak your mind, people. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Yeah. So that is a wrap on uh, PAD and exercise. Yes. Um. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at Killer Physiology Podcast. If you have any questions or if you have topics that you're like, hey, it'd be cool if you guys want to cover this, you know, let us know. Get, send us um, some tips. Definitely. Stay tuned for our next episode, guys. This is Killer Physiology. See ya. See ya.